Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And I wanted to speak today regarding the concept of what is holding your child back if you find that she's or he's struggling significantly in the school setting during virtual or hybrid or in-person schooling right now, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So we know that there's a big difference between general frustration um, with how schooling is happening and the word struggle, like intense meltdowns, um, daily frustrations, outbursts, eloping, choosing not to show up, um, slamming the computer down, uh, turning off the Zoom call, uh, not doing homework consistently and thoroughly on a daily basis where it feels like a, a, a battle over and over and over again. This is what I'm talking about compared to griping and missing the missing your friends right we all uh, miss our friends right now um, those of us who are in isolation or have minimal contact or no contact with our our um, social network aside from on the internet or through some other technological experience um, and the um, you know, as the weather gets colder, isolation can, um, can grow. And so knowing, you know, rounding out about nine months of this process where the majority of states have been in some sort of lockdown, um, it's what I want to do is, is speak about how some highly sensitive children are struggling even more in this setting and what we've noticed for children who have been able to make the most out of virtual schooling is particularly, um, I wanna speak about that today. So um, one thing that I wanna acknowledge, and I've said this uh, before, especially um, you know, as the pandemic hit and, and moving into kind of surviving um, and and then moving into being able to thrive in this pandemic circumstance. Um, One of the things that I've been speaking about here is the necessity of focusing on helping your child be emotionally available for learning. So today, what I want to discuss is the the understanding that your child who's highly sensitive is um, has a different way of seeing the world, has a different way of experiencing the world. And what that means is that their brains are wired differently. So when their brains are wired differently, that means that they experience more information, data coming in from the world. Um, they process that more deeply as well. 
And they also spend more time uh, sifting through the emotions around that. So they feel deeply, much more deeply than, um, than non-highly sensitive people. And so while they're taking in more information from the world, it's also true that that information that they're taking in uh, can impede them from staying focused in the classroom. So I have a different training on the difference between anxiety, ADHD, and highly sensitive children. So we're not going to get into that now. What I want to speak about today is helping your child be emotionally available for learning during during virtual schooling and and um, and noticing the signs that your child is not emotionally available. And and what I mean by helping the, the focus I want to do is help today is help you assess uh, whether your child is actually emotionally available for learning in that in that setting. So. Um, Right now, what I know is that uh, if your child is being schooled at home, it's likely you are either uh, working at home or you're a stay-at-home parent and you need to help them, um, or they're in some sort of um, like after-school or daycare sort of setting so that uh, they can be in front of the computer while they're learning, um, while you're off at work or um you're managing the household, etc., or our younger children, whatever. Um, but what I'm focusing on for this is being able to identify the signs that your child is 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 just not able to emotionally stay focused. Um, so, in terms of virtual virtual schooling, obviously the the screens in and of themselves are um, creating a barrier for for staying present in the classroom because they're not actually present in the classroom. Um, but there also can be there can also be a lot of struggle in terms of staying connected to the teacher's teaching um, that you'll need to assess for your child and whether or not a modified assignment would be more appropriate um, or an assignment in advance. Uh, receiving that assignment in advance could be more appropriate for your child because when um, your child is learning in a new setting, and we know that for some of you, uh, virtual to hybrid, from hybrid back to virtual, has been a bit of a pattern, um, especially this fall for, for different states and different um, counties and states. And so what that means is that it, it may very well be that your child is struggling to get used to different things and, and routines um, because it's difficult for the routine to be reliable. Um, and highly sensitive people need reliability and consistency in order to feel safe and like that they can thrive. And so uh, I would encourage you to look at how certain parts of their routine can stay reliable, even if it's not in the same um, same work setting. Um, that might mean that you need to increase reliability and consistency outside of the school setting. Um, to make this happen. And then the next thing that I want to focus on is noticing that your child may be paying attention to the screen um, in the sense of, of looking at what's going on, but they might, might not be actually absorbing the material. So uh, overwhelmed and, oversens and, and overstimulated children um, cannot demonstrate their skill set effectively. That skill set is true for academic success. It's also true for empathy. You can watch my videos on that. Um, because we know highly sensitive children are skilled in experiencing empathy. It's part of the trait. Um, but if they're emotionally reactive, then that can consume the empathy uh, expression. 
for children who are highly sensitive. So um, that's an important uh, note to take in parenting a highly sensitive child because um, without the, the ability to help your child mitigate their emotional reactivity, um, they they can pretty strongly react uh, on a daily basis. We know through meltdowns, aggressive behavior, um, refusals to follow through on expectations, um, uh, difficulty in uh, communicating what their needs are, and uh, that can happen on a daily, multiple times a day basis. Um, so when we see parents who are able to help their kids not only get into the school setting, um, but stay there and learn, um, there are a couple things that are, are indicative of, of a child who's not emotionally available for learning. Now, I want to speak more in particular to the worried, anxious, highly sensitive child for this uh, part of the conversation, because uh, the children with explosive behaviors, um, intense meltdowns that are um, aggressive in nature, uh, physical, physically intense, um, that is a different um, a different presentation, and I speak about that often. So what I want to speak about today are the children who, what I, I like to call, um, they tend to turtle up. They will go into their little shell, and they will stay there. And that shell is hard, and you can feel like as a parent, you are just like, knock, 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 hello, anybody in there? Um, and they're looking at you doe-eyed from inside that turtle shell, like, do not, do not pull me out of here. Um, and that's like, that can often feel like the worst of it pre-meltdown. Pre um, or for some children, that's as much as you're getting, but they are just shut down for several hours and, um, and you can't, you can't get a word in edgewise because they're, they're not emotionally available for learning from you. Um, and that's really what we're talking about here. It's not just about learning in the classroom. They first need to be able to be emotionally available for learning from you. Now, highly sensitive children change their behavior when their parents change how they interact with them. So um, this is research that was started in the 90s um, regarding particularly the highly sensitive trait and matching that to, to, um, to behavior change in children. Um, but it was, um, it began in the 60s regarding highly sensitive people and how to help them build skills. Um, just in a different, uh, but without the label of highly sensitive person, um, HSP, or sensory processing sensitivity, which is what they call it in the research, um, what Elaine Aaron dubbed it in the research. Um, so Elaine Aaron is not the first um, person to study sensitive people. Um, she's just the person who named it. Um, so 30 years prior to that, um, Marsha Linehan studied highly sensitive people and, and people who were born more sensitive, um, as did a, 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 a several other um, psychological um sorry, psychology um, experts. But Marsha Linehan's one of the ones that is um, a higher proponent. She studied it in the mental health field compared to the, um, the personality field that while Dr. Aaron does have a psychology degree, um, she studied it from the angle of understanding sensitive people in general rather than sensitive people with mental illness. Um, and, and Dr. Linehan in the 60s started studying it um, so from sensitive people in, uh, who have mental illness. So um, 
in terms of uh, my training and what I know to be true is that when you think about preventing mental illness for highly sensitive people, you need to prevent um, and, and systematically build skills that allow your child to um, stop avoiding their emotions, to stop reacting to their emotions and then avoiding them. Um, and so when you think about a child who turtles up um, or who can stay frozen in a certain circumstance, we, uh, we need to help them not just break out of their shell by breaking out of it, right? The cliche in that respect. Um, but in noticing that it's safe to come out and to stay out. It is so, so important to understand that um, a completely different life can be true for your family, even in a pandemic, um, uh, because you need hope. You need hope. And um, with that being said, I always say hope is not a strategy. Um, Hope gets you in line to follow the strategy, like in line to go find one. (laughs) Um, And uh, not in line like, you know, I, I, matey, or, or yes, ma'am, um, in line, but um, hope hope sparks the um, the search for a strategy. It's probably a more eloquent way of saying that. So um, I want to speak about this family is parent of a of an eleven year old, and um, when we first got started over oh shoot, it was probably sometime in the spring. <laughs> um, she was celebrating here in September. So again, um, we haven't captured wins uh, recently from our, our Facebook groups, but um, these are the ones that um, my ops, my, my executive assistant put in my inbox a while ago. And so um, what she's speaking about is the first week of school and the first week of school for a middle school, a middle school student who, um, was an, was would have her meltdowns look different. Her meltdowns were frozen tears of what if this is wrong and this is wrong and this won't work and this won't work and if I can't find this, what'll I do? And I don't think I can make it. And will you help me? And and mom, who is an outcome driven, um, self proclaimed problem solver. <laughs> Um, and that served her very well in her career and, and um, you know, in her life successes. It wasn't helping her oldest uh, preteen learn um, because when she would tell her um, her sensitive child what to do, you know, well, then, you, you know, mom, what if, I don't know, I'll come up with an example. What if I'm cold? Like, should I bring a sweater today? What if I'm cold in school? Well, you know, keep it in your backpack. You can pull it out if you're cold, right? Like that's the problem solver in us that's like, it's pretty clear, obvious potential here. Um, But one thing that she wasn't noticing was that her child wasn't actually emotionally available to learn that flexibility of like, you can bring the sweater and you can keep it in your backpack and you can use it or you cannot. Um, Because in that moment, she was overwhelmed with anxiety. She was overwhelmed with frustration of not having an answer to her problem and not being certain that her answer would be right um, and wanting to do it right the first time being sensitive. So um, it was very difficult for um, this parent and her daughter to uh, see eye to eye because they didn't 
they didn't. Um, she often didn't really know how to speak the language of uh, a child who struggled with making decisions uh, because she was such a decisive parent. Um, and so I just wanted to, um, to acknowledge that um, you can be highly sensitive and decisive. And in um, teaching your child to do the same, because um, this mom was actually um, identified herself as a highly sensitive p- person after we started working together and she started to understand more about the trait. Um, she started to glean that and, and, and identify with the trait um, much more effectively. And um, it helped her see that um, highly sensitive people, um, I was going to say come in all shapes and sizes, but but that's like, I mean, I guess you could say that, but... What I mean by that, in terms of the sensitivity and the spectrum, um, the 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 um, the spectrum of the personality can come in all shapes and sizes as well. So, anyways, what we're noticing here is that this is a child who couldn't decide, and I, I use the example of a sweater that isn't particularly um, an actual example from that child because, um, you know we're blurring out the names and it, it's important for us to, to maintain confidentiality for the kids that we work with. Um, so this is a child who, who a situation like picking a sweater would have paralyzed her for a solid half an hour. And then her mother um, would have been really frustrated with her and, and yelled at her to get in the car and then just told her like, bring it or not, I don't care. Um, and obviously that's not the parent that she wanted to be. And, um, it's not the parent that her daughter needed her to be either. And so that's why uh, she booked a call and we spoke about solving the problem. And um, she decided that she needed help. And um, because if, if she wasn't able to be decisive in that matter, then you know how could she help her child learn to be decisive? And what we're seeing here is that her child was able to decide that it was going to be okay, even though school was late even though the pickup procedure was changed, even though she had to carry all her stuff, even though she was needing to go to seven different classes, right? Um, And in all of that, she felt relaxed enough. Remember, a turtled up, highly sensitive child, if any of you have those um, in your mix of of family uh, dynamic, um, even, even that, she was able to make a new friend. So how relaxed do you need to be in order to make a new friend, right? You need to be able to um, to not just notice that somebody else is seemingly friendly, but also trust your gut that that seemingly friendly person wants to be friends with you. Reach out beyond your gut, say hello, either hello back or initiate the conversation, and then maintain that conversation enough to make it a meaningful thing you would tell your parent about as a preteen. Um, so... Uh, this mom was obviously just over the moon about her daughter's first day of school this year. Uh, and they're continuing to see that that success perpetuate because the, the strategies that we teach her are, um, are not just focused on, um, on knowing what to do in the moment, but also staying emotionally available for learning, being able to perpetuate the availability to learn about the fact that th- New things might happen, but it doesn't mean that they're bad. Different things might happen, but it doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they're different. And that's okay. Different things can lead to great changes that can be insurmountable in your family's happiness. So um, what we did was we helped her 
um, notice how to speak her child's language because it was not her language. We helped her acknowledge her child's strengths. We helped her not just do that from a place of, you know, being her kid's cheerleader and pumping her up every day so she could go out and do it on her own. Um, but helping her set limits clearly for for her own um, priorities and, and time for so that her child could start to own what she was um, available to, to own. And then um, uh, in a way that, that paced her, her child in feeling capable rather than just saying, you know what, you're a preteen, you can absolutely uh, deal with this. Like this is just absolutely something you know how to do. You should know how to do this by now, um, which is what she was doing before. We started to work together. And now her, her child is um, independently taking ownership of what she needs her to do. So um, we're celebrating uh, this preteen. But what I also want to do is notice another family of a younger child. So um, this is a parent of a four-year-old. And they actually were terrified of sending him to preschool um, when they when they got started with us in, in, in uh, July. Um, and they weren't sure like how virtual preschool was going to work or if that was even a thing or whatever. Um, and, um, with that being said, because he had such severe separation anxiety, uh, and they had, um, twin siblings, um, younger twin siblings, they knew that they needed him to go into, um, to preschool in order to not be significantly emotionally delayed, um, the next year. Um, they were, they were, they had already, um, delayed the process as long as they could without getting professional support. Um, you know, over the last year, they, they chose not to put him in um, like a daycare setting or anything um, with the, the new, with the twins. So the twins were two, um, this child was four. Um, and um, at the, their decision was because they didn't think that he was, he was going to be able to, to feel capable of, of leaving um, uh, one of the parents side, I should say, <laughs> um, enough to, to go to another setting. But they knew because uh, he's got twin siblings that he also needed a break. He also needed a break um, that was different so that he could be around same age peers and um, develop in that way. But it was uh, challenging just, you know, with the twins being two, um, to make arrangements um, for that socially on a one-on-one basis. And so they wanted it to be more structured. So they really, really, will, really wanted to help him go to preschool um, and do that effectively. So um, this is a child who struggled significantly in any setting um, to include family settings, extended family settings, um, with loud noises and... Um, and he said um, that that and, and he was so overwhelmed that he would refuse and, and all situations would end up in tears. Um, so I want to speak to that because the process that this family experienced was not just in helping their son unturtle. Um, but it was also in helping mom notice how to help her son um, understand that he could handle it. Um, and 
That's a big difference. There's a big difference between, you know, kind of peeking your eyes out and exploring new things um, and feeling confident that even without mom at four, um, you can handle it even without your parent. And so um, for these moms, it was really important for um, for their son to um, to to for them for that that their son felt like they both understood that he was able to um, to reach out to them for help and he could handle it. Um, and so they worked really significantly on being able to communicate uh, with him what his needs were and um, and how to pace him into being more social so much so that uh, he was able to um, speak into the camera have a conversation um, participate on his first um, on his second day of of preschool Um, whereas prior in in prior examples of any social interaction virtual or not um, he would be in the corner um, wanting to leave or wanting to leave um, and, and be physically unsafe where mom had to grab him because um, the twins were, you know, not attached at her side either. Um, and, you know, hands over ears and um, just completely not able to follow through. Um, and so this is from July to, to, you know, first week of school in California. So um, I'm just naming the state because... Um, I think in California they start in August, but I could be wrong. Could be early September. I can't remember if it was pre or post Labor Day. Basically, what we're doing is um, noticing that for your family at um, a young age or you know even preteen, um, the the focus needs to be first and foremost not on getting the work done in school. Um, or even just keeping track of what the work is, uh, but being able to feel emotionally in control. And when your child is emotionally in control, then they can meet age-appropriate expectations for academics. So um, otherwise, you're just focused on getting it over with and uh, teaching them to rip the Band-Aid off of their emotions and show up and suck up suck it up. Um, And that doesn't work. It doesn't work um, because it actually perpetuates the perspective that their behavior is a choice rather than a uh, symptom of overwhelm and intensity. And uh, for highly sensitive children who don't yet have skills, when you send the message to them that their intense emotions are a choice, they actually feel significantly invalidated um, and misunderstood. And Invalidating environment is num- is one of the number one um, key uh, factors in chronic suicidality and self harm for highly sensitive teens. So um, this is a pretty serious um, you know rabbit hole that you're you're traveling down if if you're not uh, focused on helping your child manage it early. So um, when we think about noticing that your child needs to be able to communicate their emotions safely to you um, at an early age. If they can't do that later on, they hold it in together, they hold it all in, and um, and then without coping skills, um, they take it out on themselves or, or others. So um, that's a pretty logical sequence of events, but it's also research-based and, and science-focused um, in, in terms of the 
the statistics, um, which I've, I've demonstrated in other videos so um, and trainings for you so that you have uh, clear information in order to make an educated decision on when too much is too much. So again, if your child is turtling up or um, staying frozen, uh, that is a symptom of fight or flight. Um, freeze is actually at the heightened level of the the um, the intensity and is a pretty significant indicator of helplessness for your child, um, shutdown and helplessness. And so when you think about uh, what's happening in that moment, your child is in some pretty severe state of overwhelm. Um, and that is uh, necessary for you to address first before you um, can maintain and sustain expectations that they'll get their schoolwork done. So um, regarding being able to tackle this, the, the first and foremost focus is in helping your child notice their deep emotions, dissipate them in a way that helps them feel like they're in control rather than just turning them off because that's not a thing, and, um, and being able to feel curious. Uh, curious for learning um, and curiosity breeds a yearning for learning. And when we think about the way that um, the educational system is working in the United States um, and even in the uh, developing world, uh, you need to be able to have a curiosity um, of how things work and how to break things apart and how to put them back together in order to survive um, in the career field that your child might be interested in because of um, how technology is taking over the, um, the basic cause and effect work that um, that is just not going to be available in the next 15, 25, 35 years um, because robots will be doing it. <laughs> um, and I say that tongue in cheek, but it's true. You know, when we think about some of the, the jobs that um, the children, you know, turn teenagers, turn young adults who um, – without skills might have been able to pick up a position um, that, you know, in order to kind of fumble around in early adulthood while they figured out how to manage their emotions so much so that they can um, creatively solve problems and eventually learn how to, how to, um, how to sift out of overwhelm. Um, many of those positions are going to be, um, are, are going to be, substituted with technology. Um, and, you know, I, I joke about this. It's not that we're all going to be, you know, visited by moving Roombas in our house. Um, but um, what I mean by that is there are some jobs that are, are not going to be available um, for your child because uh, the computers will, will be um, will be utilized in different ways um, in the next several decades. And so your child's going to need to be able to curiously figure out what they're learning and apply it in multiple different categories, um, rather than just being able to rotely memorize and spit back out. Um, and, um, and so having your child just show up to digest the information and spit it back out for, you know, testing purposes or whatever. Um, this is not a soapbox on the public school system. I'm just talking about, we all know what's going on right now. 
um, and, and a lot of the public schools um, in terms of how their, you know, how, how academic success is, is judged and how um, teachers are, are uh, being required to teach to tests right now, specifically in the education system and the public education system. And so um, highly sensitive children who can see the big picture and then also see the small picture um, because they can look at very small details. Um, they have a, a skill set that can be honed to creatively solve problems and, you know, be engineers, doctors, therapists, um, artists, creatives of the world. Um, if, if they can curiously look at situations and, um, and, and kind of inspect them from different angles before they start to put the puzzle pieces together of a problem. And that skill of fostering curiosity and learning um, requires emotional availability. You need to be emotionally available for that. Because if you're overwhelmed, right? Like think of, of a day that you had something on your mind and you were worried about somebody or something, um, you're distracted. You're just not fully entirely present in order to use your whole brain's capacity to solve a problem. So, um, you know, thinking about building that skill set in the academic setting for children, um, in order for them to use it in their careers growing up, um, you know, in, in early adulthood, and, and then in, um, in adulthood and beyond, um, in the career world, your child needs to be able to um, see a problem, look at it from multiple different angles, and then figure out what's going to be the best course of action rather than like the most well-traveled course of action. And um, because the most well-traveled course of action where it's like very simple, you know, if this, then that, um, humans are going to teach robots how to do a lot of that stuff. So, um, or computers or whatever, um, you know, what is it? Amazon's like, already got some prototypes of grocery stores that don't require, I mean, not just cashiers, but also like employees, you know, because it's like vending machine run or whatever. I don't know, I read about it in a magazine. I'm not trying to get um, into the nitty gritty of that. I'm trying to use it as an example of how, um, you know, we've just seen uh, various large companies systematically uh, eliminate human labor. And, um, and so the people who are designing those systems are going to need to be able to pick things apart and put them back together to um, to make them work, right? So um, you're thinking logistically, big picture, and then small picture. Um, I mean, we can just roll with Amazon um, as an example, right? Like thinking about that company um, and who helps build those kinds of systems. It is a very complicated system to know that somebody in this area can can buy a thing and it can show up in two days. Um, and like knowing what inventory needs to be kept, knowing what sort of, you know, variety of inventory needs to be kept, not too much, not too little. Um, knowing, you know, where in the country more needs to be kept, um, knowing, you know, how, mu how much of, um, uh, you know, how many drivers need to, to um, need to be around, right? Like there's just, it makes my brain explode in terms of the logistics. This is why I have a team. <laughs> it's not my wheelhouse. Uh, Christina's my wheelhouse for that. Um, she's my spreadsheet queen. So um, that kind of stuff is, um, 
requires like people who are able to think big and then think narrow. Um, so when you think about being able to be systematic and solving problems, you need your child to notice the big thing is big. Okay, right? Like this is a big problem. It's big. And then how do I narrow it down to solve each piece of it? rather than staying overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, this project is so big, I'm going to procrastinate, never deal with it, and then cram and try and fix it tomorrow. Um, But then be so, you know, perfectionistic that um, they're worried that they're going to get a bad grade because they waited to the last minute that they then either don't do it or they explode. um, Or um, they turn in what they think is a a B uh, product. um, But they they pulled an all nighter and in their mind, what is a B is in the teacher's mind still an A, but like you're worried that your kid is is just going to be a um, you know a, a walking heart attack when they're 40 because of that level of stress and pressure that they put on themselves. So um, obviously, we want children to be able to manage their stress a lot earlier and um, and stop that cycle so that they can cut themselves some slack. Look at big picture projects. And then um, systematically slow themselves down to, to take, you know, take your guidance to do it piece by piece rather than waiting to the last minute, right? So um, I bring that scenario up because it is also often uh, a similar circumstance um, with children who turtle up. Uh, we see that avoidance of the task until the very last minute procrastination um, can go hand in hand in that respect. Okay, so if you need help in dealing with that, (laughs) looking at the big picture and making it granular, um, you know, something that is something that we do for highly sensitive children. That is one of the things we do for parents of highly sensitive children so that we help parents eliminate those meltdowns, um, eliminate that self-isolation and um, on a daily basis so that you go back to living and you can deal with it in a way that is much smaller, um, much more... um, typical for child development and um, feels so much more manageable as a result for both you and your child. And if you need help, go ahead um, and head over to megantompsoncoaching.com backslash talk and uh, book a call. Make sure that you um, show up ready to take a take a clear look at where you're struggling, where your child is stuck, uh, where you want to not only help your child be, but also where you want to where you want to be as a parent, and um, and then if I, we can help you, we'll tell you how that works. If I feel like or or my team feels like something else is going to be more efficient or effective um, rather than working with us, then we'll steer you in that direction. Okay, because uh, what's more important to us is that you have a plan that's going to actually be effective. Um, not only is efficiency, but results are high values of mine. So um, that's crucial that we make sure that everybody that we work with or um, speak to and think is going to be a good fit is actually a good fit uh, for what we do. So we don't know that until we talk to you because um, you know we want to we want to be that certain uh, that we can help. So that's that. You have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, 
Here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.